So good morning. My name is Steve, and I am a father. So it's such a blessing to share today on Father's Day this great story called the parable of the prodigal son. Um, I am a father of four adult children, along with my wife, my lovely wife, Cindy. And we have been involved here at CCG City Church Garland for a couple of years. We first got involved through the Lejeunes. Uh, they were here first, and we knew them down in College Station in Aggieland. We're all Aggies. We love Aggies. We love everybody else, too. So, And uh, so... When we came up here, we got plugged in. This was the first church we visited, and we never left. Because the spiritual DNA here at CCG is so similar to what my wife and I have lived out in our faith for the last 30-plus years. So it's a real joy to be here at City Church Garland, and it's a pleasure to be able to share today as our pastor. If you're new with us, our pastor is on a sabbatical, getting rest in many ways. So we're having different teachers come up here and share. And I have the privilege of sharing this morning. As was communicated, we're doing a slight departure from Psalms. And we're talking about the parable of the prodigal son this morning. And it's a very fitting story, right, for Father's Day. And as I started to study the story, though, I realized that it's probably named wrong. Um, Do you know the, the titles there in your... Bible are not inspired, right? I don't know if you knew that, but somebody else wrote those in. It's not from God. So it's very interesting that even Jesus may have given this story a different name. I'm not going to have a lot of slides, so I just encourage you to just pray and ask the Lord to speak to you during this sermon. And I'm not going to have all the scriptures up there, but we are going to be going through Luke 15 a lot. If you want to go to Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. And in verse 11, Jesus starts this parable. Don't go to that slide yet. Don't go to that slide. I'll tell you when to go to that slide. And uh, in verse 11, Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons. That's how he starts it out, okay? So should the parable be called the parable of the two sons? Maybe. Um, It is important to look at the two sons, right? There's not just one. But there's two, and we need to look at both of those sons to really understand what Jesus is talking about in this parable. But there's another very important character, right? It's the father. The father is very important to understand what Jesus is trying to communicate with this parable. And I like what one guy entitled this story. He called it, The Compassionate Father and His Two Lost Sons. Now you can put it up there. The compassionate, the parable of the compassionate father and the two lost sons. That's the name of my teaching this morning, and that's going to be the emphasis. So we have a big idea. We actually have two big ideas, okay? Um, and it really, but it's just one depending on who you are. I'm going along with Pastor Keith's kind of theme and of sharing a big idea to help us figure out what we're trying to communicate and get go away with from this teaching. So the first big idea, you can go ahead and put those up, is if you don't know God personally, we will see in this parable that neither hedonism nor your own good works can save your soul, but only the compassionate Father can, and you need to come home to him. If you're a Jesus lover, 
the big idea for you is that the compassionate father heart of God for lost sinners should compel us to go out and seek the lost and bring them home to the father. All right. So let's dive in here. So why does Jesus tell this story? This this story is great because there's a lot of just it's laid out there. You know, you hear some people say the parables are given so people can't understand. But in this parable, it's actually pretty easy to understand because he gives you a lot of clues. OK, in verse 15, one, he says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. So obviously what he's doing is he's addressing their grumbling and really their question as they grumbled the question. Why are you eating with these guys? And, and this is a constant theme with the Pharisees. We've heard this question before. Uh, back in uh, Luke 5.30, when, uh, is it Simon? Yes, yeah, Simon the tax collector gets saved and throws a big party and has Jesus over as the host, as the, the guest. And the scribes are there, the Pharisees and the scribes are there again before this story. And they say, they grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So they have a recurring theme. But Jesus keeps telling them why, but they just don't get it. So in in answer to their question, Jesus tells these Scrooges, as I've labeled them, three parables to reveal to them why he was so accepting, why he was receiving tax collectors and sinners. If you don't know about the Pharisees and the scribes, they were a religious sect in Judaism that was very passionate about obeying the law and the prophets. And they were very passionate about others obeying the law and the prophets. And the scribes even had a very important job of meticulously copying the Torah by hand. The first five books of the law, they would make copies. And they, so they were very serious about God's word. Okay? And the Pharisees and the scribes, potentially, in the beginning, their hearts were good. And their intentions were good. But they got off track. They became obsessed with legalism and self-righteousness. <laughs> so, why were the Pharisees so bothered by Jesus receiving these sinners. Well, these guys knew their Bible, right? That's why they were bothered. The Bible, their Bible clearly communicated they weren't supposed to hang out with sinners. Psalms 1.1. I'm just going to read one scripture, but there's a lot of scripture. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And even the New Testament for us, right? Communicates the same thing. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three. We know this scripture. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals or good character. It's obvious, right? We don't want our kids hanging out with drunkards and prostitutes and materialists and gossipers. And we definitely don't want them to grow up to be IRS agents, right? The modern day tax collectors. That would be horrible. So why was Jesus allowing these sinners to get close to him and having intimate meals with them? 
Well, those of us that have read about the life of Jesus, we know why he was hanging out with them. He wasn't hanging out with them to participate in their sin, right? To get drunk, to get around somebody and boost his career. He was hanging out with these sinners so that they could, one, see their sin through his goodness and his obedience and understand the compassionate father heart of God and that they would come home. That's why he was around them. Jesus tells the Pharisees very clearly why he was doing this in a different place. Mark 2.17. They ask the same question. If you go to Mark 2.17. And he says, on hearing this question, this is what Jesus said to them. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Stating very clearly. Romans 2, 4. This is a great verse. It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Can't you see that this kindness, his kindness, is intended to turn you from your sin? So he was not hanging out to participate with the sin. He was hanging out so that they could see their sin and see the compassionate love of the Father. And as we dive in and look a little bit more at this first son, the, the younger son, I do have to ask you, are you one of those sinners who needs to come home? I think it's very important that you understand if you're that person. So let's look a little bit at this younger son that the father was calling home. Most of us can relate to the younger son. When we think about parable of the prodigal son, we think about the younger son, right? The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. And what does his father do? His father agrees to divide his wealth between his sons. That was pretty bold, right? To go up to your father and say, hey, I want my inheritance now so I can spend it. Now, I don't want to wait for you to die. I actually, it's, it was like saying, I wish you were dead now because I want my money. And I want to go do with it what I want to do. Now, to us, this is shocking, right? But to the Pharisees and scribes, it was more shocking. This was a shameful, disrespectful thing for this young son to do. We often think about people hearing this story and thinking, about, oh, you know, that's awesome, the younger son. But the Pharisees, they, they were not happy with this story because they looked at the son and they were like, what is he doing? What is he thinking? Remember, for rebellious children, these Pharisees would take him out to the gate and stone him. I mean, they were serious about obedience. And when we think about our inheritance, right, if we're lucky enough to get one, it's a gift. It's not something we can demand. It's not something that I'm going to get early. If we're lucky, we may get an inheritance when our parents die. The younger son, why did he do this? Well, he was discontent, right? And it's so interesting. He had it so good at the father's house. He had everything he needed, but he was discontent. He didn't understand what he had. And for him, he thought he knew a better way to go find fulfillment and satisfaction in life, right? And, you know, I think this sometimes describes my own children. I sometimes look at them struggling in life, and I think, man, you guys have so much. 
and you just can't see it. It's right in front of you. But this describes me as well. Um, You know, I'm still, even as a follower of Jesus for so many years, I still get tempted thinking that the world has a better way of fulfillment and satisfaction, right? Money, more money. If we could just have more money, then, then we could really be happy. So us, we ourselves are like the younger son at times, thinking this is the way to fulfillment and success and happiness. Not my relationship with my father, but other things. We think that we have a better way to find happiness and fulfillment, and it often leads us down the same road that this younger son was on. In verse 13, it says, A few days later, the younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a different land, a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. He wasted all of his money. Some verses say, um, use the word squandered. He squandered all his money. And this, interestingly enough, is where we get the word prodigal. That word right there, squandered or wasted, in Greek is prodigal. It's different than what we normally use it, right? We normally say, oh, pray for my prodigal child. They're so far away from God. So we think the word means far away from God. But prodigal means wasted, extravagant spending beyond what you have. One that throws money around carelessly or without restraint. Extravagant or lavish. Remember those words. The younger son spent prodigally. And I was a younger son at one time in my life. I was looking for fulfillment and satisfaction. And I thought I knew the way. Now, I didn't go up to my parents and ask them for uh, my inheritance, I probably wouldn't have gotten anything. They probably would have said, yeah, that's great, son. See you, bye. Go make your own money. But I disrespected them in other ways. And I, I sought after the world because I thought that was the way of fulfillment and happiness. And I looked into all kinds of pleasure-seeking. And my biggest prodigal expense was on marijuana. I was a pothead. I know you may not think that. I'm such a clean-cut young man, aren't I? But I was a pothead. Now, I was smart in school. I did school really well, but I was also, I mean, literally, I spent everything I had or could have or even other people's money to get stoned all the time. I was looking for fulfillment. That was my prodigal expense. And I was also seeking after fulfillment through money. I was going to Texas A&M, and I was going to graduate and make a million dollars by the age of 30. Because that was success and fulfillment. But fortunately, God saved me and opened my eyes and brought me home before I could totally ruin my life. And this is what happened to the son, the younger son. He saw his desperate state. He got to the place where he'd spent all his money. A famine came, and then he got hungry. He didn't have any Where were all the friends that were using his money that he was hanging out with? Why didn't they provide him some food? They all left. But he comes to his senses and he repents. He realizes that things back home are way better. And he decides to go home. He's going to tell the father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. 
And, and dad, if you could just even make me a slave. So we see repentance in there. He knew he'd sinned against God and he'd sinned against his dad. And, and actually this thought of him becoming a slave, slaves at that time, they had jobs, they lived in town. And he wanted to pay his father back for all the inheritance that he had spent. And this repentance is needed for the son to be able to see the good things he has at home. And it's needed by you and I. Repentance, a turning from our sin, is needed so that we can see the goodness that the Father has for us. We must realize that we have fallen short of God to be able to see the provision of the Father in sending his Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Romans 3.9 says, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. If you didn't know, you were a Gentile. Unless you're a Jew here this morning. But I think most of us are Gentile. Romans 3.26 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is what happened to me. Fortunately, on the fall of 1987, I went into a guy, a friend of mine in the dorm room at Hart Hall at Texas A&M. And I said, Eric, I got some questions for you about this Jesus character. And uh, I asked Eric all my questions and he answered all my questions. He was a very smart guy, genius level IQ. And I wasn't really a master at apologetics. I, I, I just really had some questions. And then he answered them. And then he said, Steve, I got some good news and I got some bad news. And he showed me from the Bible and from God's word that I had broken God's law. And that separated me from the Father. And that was going to lead me to an eternal separation from the Father in hell. And now I was proud and arrogant in many ways, but fortunately God opened my eyes. And I I didn't have a problem understanding that I was a bad kid, that I was sinful. But then I understood that my sin offended God and separated me from him. And this allowed me to see the goodness of who Jesus was. We must understand our sinfulness if we're going to understand the goodness of God. That night, I saw my sin. But what was more was I saw the love of the Father who had sent his Son to die for my sin and make a way for me to know the Father and to experience this love. In that moment, in the fall of 1987, I heard Jesus saying, Steve, I love you. I died for you. Do you want my free gift of love? And I embraced it. It was the love that I had so desperately been looking for. And I received Jesus as my Savior, and it radically changed my life forever. So let's look at the Father a little bit closer. Here's a thought for you to ponder as we look at the Father. The real prodigal in this story may be the compassionate Father. Let me say that again. The real prodigal in this story may be the compassionate Father. Remember what prodigal means. It means wasteful, lavish, one who spends excessively. Sure, the son, the younger son, lavishly wasted all of his money, right? 
But the father also lavishly loved the son. The kind of love expressed by the father in the story would have shocked the Pharisees. And for us, it should awaken us to how much God loves us. First John 3, 1, this is a great verse. It says, how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. This is how the son, the father lavished his love on the son. In verse 20, we heard it earlier and we hear it again. While he was still far away, the father saw the son and he ran out. And actually in that day and time, it wasn't proper for the father to run out. But he didn't care. He was going after his son. He embraced his son and kissed him and loved him. The father foolishly poured out his love on the son who did not deserve it. First of all, he wasted his money by dividing his inheritance. If you, if you understand, when you study this parable in, in the context, the historical context, to give the son the inheritance, he would have to sell everything he had. His land, his sheep, his goats, so that he could give the older son two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger son one-third. It says he divided his wealth among the sons. So he foolishly gave all he had until well, he didn't have anything. Later on in the story, it's interesting, it says the father tells the older son, all that I have is yours. Some think this was a literal statement. He didn't have anything else because he had given his inheritance to the older son and the younger son. So he lavishly gave his stuff away to the younger son. And then the father did not wait for the younger son to come crawling back on his hands and knees, right? So he could say, I told you so. He didn't even wait for the son to repent. He saw him from a distance and he ran after him and embraced him. And then he threw a big party. Now, the fattened calf, that was a serious thing to kill and throw a party. It was, meat wasn't as, uh, meat wasn't as ample as it is today. So to kill the fattened calf, the whole village came and it was a big waste. It reminds me of the woman who poured out a year's worth of wages and perfume on Jesus' feet. This is what the father does. Look what he does to the son. It says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So let's celebrate. He wastefully spins to celebrate his son coming home. This is powerful when we understand what's going on in the story. And this is what our Father God does to us. It's interesting when we look at these different elements. He put the best robe on him, right? And that's what God does to you and I. Galatians 3.27 says, For all who have were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And it's not us putting on Christ, right? It's Christ putting himself on us. When we come to faith in Jesus, we are clothed with his righteousness and the father no longer sees my shameful, wasteful, sinful life. He sees the righteousness of Christ. The father put a ring on his finger and the father God 
puts one on us, too, when we come to him. For the prodigal son, this signet ring was a sign of his authority. He was now back in the family and representing the father. He had the authority of the father. For us, when we come to Christ, we're married with Christ, it says. And the Holy Spirit is given to us as our ring. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So it's like this ring represent, I'm going to be married to my wife forever. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. We are marked. And we also have authority to walk in this world and be victorious. And then the father put shoes on his feet, right? And in that day and age, slaves didn't wear shoes. And so to wear shoes was the mark of a free man. And for us, when we come to Christ, we get shoes too, don't we? Ephesians 6.15 says, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So we get shoes that enable us to go out and represent the Father and tell others about his amazing love for them as well. So just as the Father in this story, who is representative God, lavishly loves this Son, so God lavishly loves us. We get a robe of righteousness. We get the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing where we're going to go. And we get our shoes, our feet fitted with these shoes that empower us to go tell others about his love. But there's still one character in the story, right? The older son. And the older son, as they were celebrating the younger son, he comes home. And he heard the music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother's back. Your father killed the fattened calf and we're celebrating his safe return. But it says the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Why in the world was he angry? Well, if you didn't know, the older brother in this story is representative of the Pharisees. Okay? So God, Jesus was helping the Pharisees understand why they were missing what he was doing with these sinners. The older son's anger reveals the heart of the Pharisees. In Luke fifteen twenty five, it says, When the father came out and begged him to come in and celebrate with the family, he says, look, this is the older son. He says, all these years I've slaved for you. I've never once refused to do a single thing you told me. It's a bold statement, isn't it? I've never sinned. And in all this time, you never gave me even one young goat. For a feast for my friends. Yet when this son of yours, this son of yours comes back, who's wasted all of his money, who's prodigally spent your inheritance on prostitutes, you celebrate him by killing the fattened calf. He, the Pharisees were angry because they were focused on themselves. He told his father, look, I'd never disobeyed you. And you're spending all your money when you should be spending it on me. Because I obeyed you all the time. But the older son was just as lost as the younger son. That's why the story, 
two lost sons. He couldn't see the compassionate heart of God because he was focused on his own obedience. He was trying to earn the approval of the father by his good works. And and even in that, he couldn't see the love of the father. He missed it. And the Pharisees couldn't see the compassionate love of God for sinners because they were focused on their own righteousness, thinking that they were better than these sinners. There's another story. We know it. It's actually later on in Luke when the Pharisee goes up to the temple to pray. What does it say that he says? He says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. I'm not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of my money. I give a tenth of everything I get. He was focused on himself. But listen to what the father in the story tells the older son. He says, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for the younger son was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Jesus was revealing the whole point of the, the story, the parable to the Pharisees. They could not see and rejoice with the father that these sinners had come home because they were too focused on their own righteousness. And they couldn't see the love of God. It's interesting that this story has a much broader context. The Jews as a whole became focused on their own obedience and lost sight of the love of God. And we look at this older son and we criticize him. We think, ah, what's wrong with this guy? But, and we compare ourselves to the younger son. We really, we don't compare ourselves to the, to the older brother. But aren't we also like the older brother? Are we jealous of the blessings of others? Do we grumble and complain when God is working in the lives of our brothers and sisters, but not working in my life? Man, I've done all this for you, God. Don't we expect him to, to do something for me too? This is the heart of the Pharisees. And, you know, I was the older brother at one time in my life, and I may still be today, I hope, to a lesser degree. Um, As I stated, I'm a father of four. And my wife and I, we came to Jesus before we had kids, and we raised our kids to love God. We worked hard at it. We shared the word with them. We helped them memorize the word. We shared the truth of who God was. We provided a loving community for them to grow up so they could experience real relationships in a safe place. But all my children turned away from God. It was very obvious when they were young that they weren't following Jesus. And this was a crushing blow for my wife and I. During my children's teen years, when it was evident that they did not want to pursue Jesus... I realized that I was angry at God. You see, I had obeyed God and I had sacrificed. And I expected God to do something in return, at least for my kids. I remember talking to God one time. Maybe this was over several times. I don't know. But I told God, hey, God, we sacrificed so much. We went into vocational ministry. We 
left a successful career to reach out to college students, and now we're reaching Muslims, and they're a hard group to reach. They're not fun. They're angry people. I don't get to stand up on stage. Look who's come to Christ very often. This is a hard road, God. We've gave up money. My wife is staying home so she can be the primary caregiver and educate our children because we so believe in God, your truth and your values that we want to instill them in our children. So we've sacrificed a lot, Lord, and this is what we get in return. We, we get our children turning away from God. We see the blessings of others around us. You know, these people, they have a great career. They got lots of money and their kids are following Jesus too. What's up with that? But fortunately, God helped me uh, work through my anger and come to a place of contentment and gratitude and patience as I wait on the timing of the Lord. And it's hard. He brought me there, and I try to stay there, but I'm not often there. I'm not always there. God has put us in a place where he's calling us to be the prodigal father to our children, to love them even when it looks foolish so that they'll come home. There's one more very important thing I want you to notice, and this is going to wrap it up. Okay. Remember, uh, Dick read the first two parables, and all three parables go together. The first parable, we see this man who, he had 99 sheep, and one was lost, and so he went after it to find it, right? Then we see a lady who lost 10 coins, and she, had, she went after that one coin that she lost. So we went from 99 to 10 to 2. Then we have two sons, and one was lost. We don't see anybody going after it. Isn't that interesting? Nobody's going after the son. Why is that? There's a point in that. Who was supposed to go get the son? The older brother. In this culture, the older brother should have gone and got the son. Even if he didn't like the son. Even if he thought, man, this kid's a fool. He should have known his father's heart for this younger son. And gone after the younger son and brought him home. You foolish kid. Let's come on back home. Dad wants you home. He loves you. But the older brother didn't. The older brother was angry. Remember? He couldn't see the father's love because he was focused on himself. And this, the Pharisees and what happens here is representative of Israel. Okay? God chose Israel to be a light to the nations. Exodus 9.16, it says, this is God speaking to Israel. He said, but I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God loved Israel, not just so Israel could receive his love, but they could turn around and be a light to all nations. So every nation, tongue, tribe, and people could come home. But the Pharisees missed it. So God came down as the incarnate son and showed his love among us. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Right? Romans 5:8. But God shows his love for us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Pharisees had a mission. But they didn't walk in that mission. They didn't walk in that calling. 
But just like the Pharisees had a mission, you and I that are followers of Jesus have a mission as well. And God calls us to go after that younger son and bring him home. I love these verses in 2 Corinthians. They're so powerful. This is where that title comes from. 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, For Christ's love compels us. What motivates us? Christ's love for us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He died for us. We know he loves us, and that love should compel us. What does it go on to say? He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. God is speaking through us, or he wants to speak through us, if we'll walk in that mission. This is a powerful mission for you and I, who are followers of Jesus And I encourage you as we close, if you are a follower of Jesus, to understand God's love for you and let that compel you to go out to your neighbor, to your co-worker, to the person at the gas station and tell them about God's love so they can come home too. And if you're a father, start in your home. That's the best place to start, right? And man, we need the Father's grace to be an example of God's love to our children, right? God's character in so many ways. Um, And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with God, I I encourage you to understand what Jesus is telling you through this story. You're not going to find fulfillment in your own road of hedonism, wild parties, and whatever. That's not. You're going to get there, and it's ultimately not going to bring you the satisfaction that you want. And God loves you and has provided a way for you to come home. So we want to urge you to come home today. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't understand fully what we're talking about, I'd love to talk with you more after the service. Kevin, this worship leader up here, I'm sure he'd love to talk with you. Whoever. So I'm going to pray. And uh, I just encourage you. Um, the best thing to do when you walk away from a teaching is just, God, what, what do you want to speak to me about today, this morning? There's probably thoughts that have come up as I've talked. And it's really good to just meditate on those things. Kevin, you can come on up. So I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much that you love us, that you died for us. And. Lord, we pray if there's people here that don't know you, that today maybe they would choose to know you and follow you. God, we pray, God, that for us that are followers of you, that you would help us understand fully your love for us. Your love is endless. And, oh, Lord, we need to understand how much you love us and how much you love the world so that that will compel us to move beyond our fear and our worries about looking like a fool out there in the world because there's so many people I was talking to somebody this morning that are lonely and lost in their sin and don't know the way home and you've called us to share it God so help us do that we thank you in Jesus name amen